0: We know you're busy. Bills to pay, mouths to feed, and the man needs another favor. So just in case you missed what happened on the fan today, we got your back. And even if you did hear it live, you probably need to hear it again. Here you go, all in one place and in just one hour. The best of the best from today on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. This is Instant Replay.
1: So here's the thing. On a Monday, and it's gorgeous outside, is it not? I mean, you got NFL Combine Week is upon us. You've got Purdue once again flexing its muscles and back essentially is the number one power ranked team, number one overall seed in the tournament. You've got the Pacers playing the Raptors at home tonight and coming off a big win. And yet... We should almost be bitter based on the fact that now we're just having to constantly resort towards having to focus on the negative. Because I get the fact that if you live in Indianapolis and you live in central Indiana and you listen to sports talk radio, you've got to get tired of hearing about IU basketball because they suck. It's still what people are passionate about and almost the passion is increased because they're not very good and because people and it literally is like a mystery at this point it's like you know it's like a Dan Brown novel of like I think that's the guy's name of just constant like walking into closed and locked doors and wondering what the heck is going on and literally no matter how many times they change things you keep coming back to the same answer and we've gone over that a billion times But in the last hour, just when I thought to myself, Jimmy, just when I thought to myself, there's plenty to talk about today. The weather's starting to turn a little bit for the better. There's a lot of spring in the step. There's spring in the air. Got Got a short sleeve shirt and shorts on today, you do. And just when I'm excited about all of that, Mike Woodson comes out and again, just says something so incredibly dumb. And you're like, well, here we are. And I didn't th- this isn't how I was gonna start things today, but I- I'm gonna get right into it. And there's a lot to be excited about today. There's a lot to be happy about. And and we'll get to that over the course of the show. My name is Jay Quarry, by the way. Jimmy Cook, you just heard his voice, Eddie Garrison here as well. Um I'm back from Las Vegas, went and saw you two in the sphere. It was very, very cool. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit over the course of the show. But, Jimmy, let's begin with the positives, okay? And, and in quick order, quick fashion here, I guess, okay? Over the course of the weekend. Uh, Pacers, nice win for the Pacers, right?
2: Yes. They had a point in that game in the fourth quarter where it looked like it might slip away against a good Mavericks team. They're able to turn the corner. Miles Turner has 33. Great
1: win for the Pacers, yes. And Miles Turner was sensational over the Dallas Mavericks, yep. obviously, right? Yep. Um, back at it tonight, Toronto Raptors. So, quick turnaround. And you've got to see how you respond in that form. Um, Other news over the course of the weekend. Purdue. Good news for Purdue, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's another one of those games for the Boilermakers against inferior competition because, yes, they're at that point in the Big Ten. And, yes, Michigan's bad. But Michigan hung around a lot in that game. And, Jake, you mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Were the Boilermakers playing with fire with how they had all these close games? And, again, just three losses, but you wondered – was a struggle of turnovers and three-point percentage going to rear its ugly head? And they're such a good team; they did enough throughout that, even though it got a little interesting late, to have another win underneath their belt. And at least from my chair, no real alarm bells with Purdue right now. They've responded well since their last loss a couple of games ago.
1: Uh, court storming been done for 55 years, 100 years, 125 years. But now you're starting to get players that are making collisions with people on the court, even though I I have to admit, I'm not excusing by any stretch of the imagination those that storm the court and the jeopardy that puts players in. Look to me like in the last two cases, the player kind of were looking for the court stormer. I would agree. But nonetheless, uh, now all of a sudden, everybody's all up in arms because somebody from Duke got... I mean, I'm not making light of an injury, but somebody from Duke got their knee twisted right
2: additionally and I don't know whose obligation or not like it's on like at the end of the day security yes that needs to be more stepped up I guess and maybe you should be holding them back a little bit more. but again it's six security personnel versus you know 150 students who's winning that battle it's going to be the students. That said like I thought Philip was very what's the word careful with the amount of time he took to get off the floor. Like, I, I'm not saying this should be boxing rules, protect yourself at all times, but, like, there was not a lot of gusto right. to get off I'll the agree court. With that. Again, I'm not saying I'm blaming Filipowski, clearly. I'm not saying that a couple... What, last month I'm blaming Caitlin Clark, but, like, it, you're aware of it at this point. Let's, let's move it a little bit, just a tad, or go reflect off in the corner if you're trying to avoid the middle of the floor where all masses of humanity
1: are coming at you. And then... The other story that came about on Friday night, and we're going to get to Indiana Mike Woodson here in just a second, because I've got, we'll both have some comments about Woodson and the state of Indiana. Um, the NIL story, and we're going to talk about this coming up midway through today's show with somebody who teaches NIL branding at Indiana University. If I understand this correctly, and let me tell you, I don't have a law degree, I am not in any way, shape, or form what one would deem to be an intellect. However, I'm going to have to learn about it potentially by tomorrow because I call 5 530 today to find out whether or not I have jury duty tomorrow. So you guys might be in here with, I think Derek's on standby. He's hanging around. Matter of fact, he's camped outside in the hallway, which is uncomfortable. How do you feel about that? Because
2: I'm like, just as much as I look forward to coming to work every day, having Derek Schultz in here wouldn't be a negative for me. Are you going to warn us? Like, hey, be careful. We've all worked with him individually, but you worked with him longer than Eddie and I combined.
1: I um I, I I've known Derek long enough to know that he's <laughs> he's used to having to wait to see what my move is before he can figure out where things are, right? Can I put in a hoagies and hops request from him? Is that possible? Oh like, yeah, I know. Like, he'll, he'll bring hoagies and nice. hops that'd in nice. and some you know, chili water. You, you got sure. it, right? Sure. Um so I find that out tomorrow. As I understand it, and I'm going to put this in very layman terms. NIL means name, image, and likeness. The NIL ruling by the Supreme Court a few years ago was initially spearheaded by Ed O'Bannon, who was a power forward for UCLA when they won the national championship in 1995. And when Ed O'Bannon realized that video game makers were selling video games that had the likeness of Ed O'Bannon on it, he filed a lawsuit claiming that he should be able to profit based on his name, his image, or his likeness. And that the NCAA should not be able to say, no, you were an amateur, thus, you are not eligible to receive any of this money. It was a very long, drawn out court case that ultimately, I believe, went to the Supreme Court that ruled on behalf of Ed O'Bannon and said, yes, you are entitled to money for that. That opened the door for athletes to be able to collect money if it was related to their name, image, and likeness. And the NCAA had to basically sit back and allow that to happen. But the rule was that you were allowed that money once you signed with a university. Um, or maybe, you know, like in the case of Khalil, where I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think what, what was happening was players were saying, I want NIL money from your school, but I want X amount up front just to like look at your school. As I understand it, my understanding is vague at best but in the state of tennessee and the state of virginia i believe it was athletes filed suit against the ncaa saying there should be no restriction on this there should be no limitation and i basically am a free agent representative marketing the brand that is me and that ruling came out friday that in fact they are correct and thus College basketball now is indeed 100% free agency and a player's value is the market value. So if you are the number one point guard in America and you want to say, hey, if you want me to come on a recruiting visit to your school, then you've got to get your local car dealership to give me 50 grand. The NCAA cannot jurisdict whether or not that is fair or unfair and they cannot limit because the NCAA's ultimate responsibility – is to create a fair and balanced opportunity for all of its institutions to compete. So the NCAA was trying to say, when it comes to securing a player services, we want to make sure that Austin P and Texas Austin have the exact same opportunity. And now the ruling is essentially saying, no, that's not the case. It is a free market enterprise. And if Austin P can't afford a $75,000 visit stipulating fee for a point guard and the University of Texas at Austin is then guess what advantage University of Texas Austin capitalism 101 I don't have a problem with that I don't have a thought really an opinion either way I mean I get it it's the United States of America I totally understand it and the notion that these are like amateur athletes and I get it you get paid for your your education and all of that but that's an at some point once the water is coming out of the fire hose, it's awfully hard to sit there and continue sipping off of it like you did previously. So we're going to get somebody to kind of explain in more in-depth what this may mean for the future of college athletics coming up at 1.30 today. But let's get to what happened over the weekend again with Indiana. Penn State is not good. Nebraska's okay, but Nebraska by reputation and brand is not one that wets your whistle northwestern same thing as nebraska rinse and repeat what i just said indiana is at the point now where their season is completely gone they are circling the drain they may well lose out for the remainder of the season and they are on a horrific losing skid where there are two things i think that can happen to a team The first one is permitted, if you will, or accepted, I think, by fan base. And that is that teams struggle and they get into like losing skids and things just don't go their way. Or they're on a four game losing skid because they're playing like the four best teams in college basketball in a grueling gauntlet schedule. The Cardinals' sin for Indiana are three things. Three. Three things. Three cardinal sins of college basketball. I don't care whether you're Indiana, you're Oregon, you're Texas. I I don't care who it is. There are three cardinal sins in college basketball. The first cardinal sin. Fouling a three-point shooter at the end of a game. (laughs) Aside from that. (laughs) the Although if it's a three-point shooter and you're up three. The the, the cardinal sin is the four-point play. I should clarify that. But yeah, sorry. Go on. The three cardinal sins, okay? The first is losing to teams that your fan base has become accustomed to beating. Teams that your fans say that at the beginning of the year, you look at the schedule and you go, yeah, okay, there's a win. I'm not saying this is the case in 2024, but the reality is this. Indiana is a university and a fan base that is stuck in living and resting on laurels and tradition, and part of those laurels and tradition are placing the other schools in the same categories with which you have always felt historically and tradition-based are where each slot, each school goes into, and forever, forever. The two-step of going to Northwestern and Wisconsin were an automatic victory. Automatic victory. It was a given when you had Northwestern on the schedule. There's a win. And when they came into the Big Ten, because they're not part of the, you know, quote-unquote, old-school Big Ten, Nebraska and Penn State, who were brought to the Big Ten for football purposes, same thing. Those are wins. And I know Penn State's had some good years, and Nebraska, Fred Hoiberg's a good coach, and they, you know, I thought Miles did a nice job with them. But nonetheless the the indiana brand states, of indiana yes. is that those are wins the
2: indiana the michigan states the michigan's the Purdue's. look at the penn states the nebraska's the northwestern's
1: and say w yes. correct cardinal sin number one losing those games that are supposed to be absolute wins okay cardinal sin number two apathy People that live in Indiana, snowy, cold, winter Indiana. For a long time in this town, we have rested on the Indianapolis 500 in the spring, Pacers basketball when they're playing in the playoffs, also in the spring, and the Indianapolis Colts and trying to make runs that that go into, hopefully, the holiday season. But that first trimester of of the calendar year, we rest on college basketball. And for Indiana fans, it kills them to see Purdue being able to buy into that, mostly because Indiana fans don't want to be apathetic about Indiana basketball. They don't. They don't want to not care. But more and more, they don't. And part of the reason they don't is because they see a roster of guys that look like they don't care. McKenzie and Baco had a possession in that game at Penn State defensively that was the most lackluster, ridiculous, laissez faire. I could not care less. Who am I playing for again? I forget which school I transferred to. Attitude that was inexcusable. Did not care. Apathy. You're out there getting beat by Penn State by double digits. Penn State getting swept for the year by Penn State, and you don't care. First time to zone nine. And If the players don't care, the fans don't care. And if the fans don't care, the media shouldn't care. But we care because fans don't care, which makes us care because that means truly they actually kind of do care. Total, like, losing the fan base is cardinal sin number two. And then there's cardinal sin number three, and this is Indiana's ultimate sin. Oh, Indiana's colors are no longer cream and crimson. We will fight for the cream and crimson. No, you're talking now, about the fear of now, God jerseys. It's the cream and cardinal. Ah, because Indiana is defined by cardinal sin. Cardinal sin number three is the biggest of all. That the fan base. I don't care who you are. I don't care whether you are a parent. You're a teacher. You're a student. You're a broadcaster, you're an engineer, you're a street cleaner, I don't care who it is. The one thing that all of us want in life, doesn't mean that we necessarily adhere to it ourselves every day, but the one thing that we want from those around us, from our significant others, from our co-workers, from our bosses, from our educators, the one thing we want is accountability. Indiana has none of it. None of it. The only accounting going on in Indiana right now is at the Kelly School of Business. Indiana University and their basketball program has zero accountability. None. Because let me play for you what Mike Woodson said earlier today. Let me play for you what Mike Woodson said earlier today and we're going to play it like three times and break it down because this is the biggest walking contradiction of all time. Mike Woodson Shall we break out the elixir? We don't even need the elixir for this, Eddie. We don't even need the elixir for this because it needs no interpretation because it's so clear. Here's Mike Woodson earlier today when asked about who's ultimately responsible for this total train wreck of a season in Bloomington for IU basketball.
3: Sometimes coaches don't want to take the blame and they want to put it all on the players. I'm not that type of coach. Even though I don't miss (laughs) jump shots, wide open shots, and Don't miss free throws. I'm still a big part of it, and, you know, I take a lot of responsibility. So all I can do right now is continue to work with my team and try to put them in the best position possible to be successful, and hopefully they'll come through for us. Hopefully they'll come through for us.
1: I'm going to pretend that I'm accountable, but guess what? Let me list for you the reasons why we're not performing well. And then I'm going to passive-aggressively imply to you that I actually have nothing to do with any of them. And then at the end, let me passively-aggressively pawn all responsibility for our future four games, all of which everybody's now expecting us to lose. Wisconsin, Maryland, Minnesota, Michigan State. I've already set the table. That if we lose those games, it's not on me because it's it wasn't up to me to come through. I just got done telling you guys, play that again, Eddie. Play this crap, this total crap. Play it again right now.
3: Sometimes coaches don't want to take the blame. Okay. They want to put it all on the players. I'm not that type of coach. Cool. Okay. But even though I don't miss <laughs> jump shots, wide open shots, and don't miss free throws, I'm still a big part of it. and. You know, I take a lot of responsibility. So, all I can do right now is continue to work with my team and try to put them in the best position possible to be successful. And hopefully, they'll come through for us. Okay,
1: right there, Mike Woodson just completely subliminally distributed blame to everyone off of himself while trying to make himself look accountable. And in fact, what he just did was exactly what the fan base sees as Cardinal sin number three, zero capital Z, capital E, capital R, capital O, zero accountability. I'd like to, I'm going to tell you there are other people that say that they pawn stuff over on their players. I don't do that. I don't do that even though I don't miss shots, miss three-pointers, turn the ball over. I put my guys in position, and then it's up to them to deliver for me, and hopefully they'll do that. What? Here's the thing. I don't know what Mike Woodson's favorite soft drink is, but I'll bet it's not Diet Coke. You know why? Why is that? Because he drinks Coke zero. Because that's his level of accountability in that program. Zero. And the biggest cardinal sin of all, those three cardinal sins wrap into cardinal sin number one. The biggest of all is that in Indiana now, unfortunately, is at a point of no return. They just are. They're at a point of no return. Fans have teetered and teetered and teetered. And at this point, I think there are fans that would rather see Indiana lose out so that the message is finally sent that they have to make a change at the top than there are fans that want to see them try to salvage something, get into the Big Ten tournament, stay over five hundred, get beaten in the Big, Turna- Big Ten tournament, go home, see who transfers, come back, and try and-, and run it all over again. Indiana's biggest problem right now is that people are totally checked out. And that includes their roster. And by all account, it appears as though it includes people within the program. People are checked out, and you can't come back from that. It is it is crossed over, and look, I don't know Mike Woodson. Mike Woodson, for all by all account, is exactly what you would want. I get it. I get why he was brought in. He's an Indianapolis product. He's an Indianapolis public school product. I love that. He's from Ripple. I love that. He was a fabulous player at Indiana. Not his fault that he was in an era sandwiched in between, obviously, an, an undefeated season and then another national championship. But Mike Woodson himself should know. When Mike Woodson sits back and realizes that the chairman of the board of trustees is Quinn Buckner, Mike Woodson was a better player than Quinn Buckner. But Quinn Buckner was a point guard leader on an undefeated national championship season. When Mike Woodson sits back and looks over to his right and sees Calbert Chaney, Calbert Chaney was a fantastic player, one of the best ever. Mike Woodson was probably as good a pure natural score in his era as Calbert Chaney, but Chaney played on teams that went to elite eights and were denied, once by an official and once by an injury, perhaps, national championships. And Mike Woodson played in an era, at, kind of at no fault of his, where it was transitional and there wasn't necessarily the elite-level talent around. There were some issues that took place you know, on the teams that he was on. But Woodson, of all people, should know what happens when there is a small era where the fans kind of get checked out a little bit. Because that alone has caused people to forget what a great player he was. He was a great player, but he was a great player on mediocre teams. And so it gets lost in the lore. Of all people, he should understand what happens when teams underperform or eras underperform. And again, I don't know him personally. I have no reason to believe he's anything other than a a good person. I know people who know him well. I know people who've worked with him very closely. I know people who endorsed him as the head coach, made phone calls for him, people that I like and trust and respect a great deal. So I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that he's clueless, but in this regard, he's clueless, and he is absolutely holding no one accountable, notably himself. He dressed that as accountability, but absolutely missed the boat on that and that right there that entire soundbite encapsulates everything that's wrong with indiana basketball because it's window dressing it's bs and it's totally transparent like i mean jimmy can you imagine if 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 all of a sudden like this radio program which is not the case but if it was totally underperforming in all metrics and areas if i came on and said listen i you know I'm responsible for this. My name's in the title of the show. Now, I'm not the one that's editing audio, and I'm not the one that's producing, and I'm not the one that's interjecting, and I'm not the one that's selling it, and I'm not the one that's that's booking. But but ultimately, i What? I
2: can't control what happens when my co-host turns on the mic.
1: Right. Right. <laughs> Can you imagine?
2: It's just... It's a tough look, and whispers are starting to happen. And to your point about him being such a like a pinnacle figure in IU basketball history... People are going to, if this continues another year, and they lose out like I think they're going to do, you're going to start having a blurred image, at least from the modern Indiana fan, of the player versus the coach. Because if the Whispers are already starting in year two and a half, nearing the completion of year three, and this goes to a fourth year without any clear guard help or guard salvation on the horizon, if he's still here next season, 2024-2025 is going to be a Sad day in IU basketball history. At least in terms here, of ways If
1: Mike Woodson's there next year, they got to win 25 games, right? They got to be right back up towards the top, or else people are going to be like, "Look, there's, there's just no turning yeah. back now, right? No turning back." I'm sure Don Fisher is thrilled to be joining this conversation. No doubt. Uh, he joins us next. Again, big show lined up. Yes, I will talk about um, at some point, kind of address the sphere and my Las Vegas question last night. I've been thinking about this ever since I saw the tweet. Like four, I, I mean, literally, like I was on a flight for three hours and people were guessing the entire time. So, my question was this I'll throw it out right now and you can continue to guess at Jake Query on X, Twitter, whatever. I went into the forum shops on the strip in Las Vegas, went into a major sports merchandising store, asked to see the manager. Manager comes out. I said, Look, you are in Vegas. The American masses are constantly going past. Here's what I want to know Tell me the Major League Baseball team, the NFL team, And the NBA team, one of each, one of each league, that has the fewest resonance with you, the one that the fewest people ask about, look for, purchase, talk about in your store. And he goes, right now, I can tell you right now what it is, no doubt. And he gave me one team for each league, and I threw last night on X, Twitter, if anybody can tell me all three, I will buy you the hat of your choice of one of those three teams. Like nine people have come up with two of the three. No one, no one guessed all three. Not one. But I'll reveal the answer later today. Don Fisher next.
0: It's the best of the best from today's broadcast lineup. Instant replay continues in a moment on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
4: Consider kisimta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about kisimta and check out the details at kisimta.com Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: This is Instant Replay, this
1: afternoon on Query & Company. Over the weekend, though, on Friday, the headline, Federal Judge's NIL ruling throws NCAA into chaos, quote, turning upside down a preliminary injunction could be a boon for college athletes a federal judge this from the new york post ruled on friday that the ncaa cannot enforce its name image and likeness rules that block student athletes from negotiating deals with boosters it took me nearly 30 years to graduate from college and seven attempts to graduate or, or excuse me pass algebra so i knew i needed somebody who could explain this in more simplistic terms so that i could understand it so les morris who's an adjunct professor that essentially created a class at Indiana University in NIL Media Branding, joins us on the program. Les, always a pleasure. How are you? Great. great. Good to talk to you. Thanks. Okay, let's begin with this. And and Les, you and I have had enough conversations that you know this over the years when talking to me. Um, I have the maturity level of a 15-year-old, so I need you to talk to me like I'm about half that. This exactly means what? For those that are listening in our audience that are not totally aware of NIL and the NCAA's involvement with it, where do things stand now? What what was it initially designed for, and and how has it been forced to change and evolve? Jake,
5: it's really a a process that uh, in my class uh, we we go back to – Athlete empowerment all the way back to professional baseball and Kurt Flood, who you know of and certainly from your St. Louis days. And, and Flood, Flood's case, although he lost at the Supreme Court, essentially ushered in free agency in baseball in the 1960s. And if you follow that through line to uh, collegiate, intercollegiate sports, one of the seminal figures who I know you've heard of is Ed O'Bannon. And O'Bannon sued successfully and uh, won rights to the e- an EA game um, where he was featured without his knowledge. It's sort of interesting. He he walked in, he was working for an auto dealer in Las Vegas, and he walked into a friend's house, and the friend's kid came up to him and said, hey, I, see, I know you from my video game. And he had no idea what it was about. So eventually this led to a court case uh, in the summer of 2021 called Alston which was the case that although it didn't deal with NIL rights specifically Jake it it was uh, very important and it turned the table so that on July 1 2021 we essentially started the NIL era the NCAA said in effect we are not going to be able to um police this anymore. We see what the Supreme Court has done. The Supreme Court in the Alston case issued a unanimous 9-0 opinion against the NCAA. And the majority opinion was was not as scathing as the concurrence written by Justice Kavanaugh, who blasted the NCAA saying that the whole notion of amateur athletics was folly. And That concurrence is still quoted in almost every decision and and legal review article that's published today. So the NIL era started on July 1, 2021, and essentially there were only three things that NIL was not. One was you couldn't have pay for plays. So in other words, if a Purdue player scored 20 points, you couldn't pay him $10 for each point he scored. Another prohibition was that there had to be some work performed for the NIL. Now, that work could be a social media post on, on a platform, and commonly was. So, or it could be a, a holding a camp or signing autographs. And then the third, which is what led to Friday's decision, the prohibition was you, NIL could not be used as a recruiting inducement. Friday's decision issued by Judge Corker of the, 8th of the Eastern Tennessee District Court, Federal Court, ruled that collectives and athletes, and collectives are third parties that are middlemen between donors and student athletes. We can talk about that in a minute. But essentially now, these collectives can negotiate NIL deals as part of the recruiting pot process. So it doesn't have to be a general, well, we have, our, our school has NIL capabilities, we have these collectives. Now you can offer, if they enroll, you can't go to contract with the student athlete, but you can say, here is an offer that we will make to you upon your enrollment. Similar to any non-athlete, Jake, who would get a package of inducements from a school. So what this has allowed is – what it will allow is greater transparency in terms of offering recruits NIL deals.
1: Okay, so – and that's different. Let's, so we'll use – okay, we'll say – we'll use me, okay? And let's say that I am a, a premier basketball recruit, and I am still in the open market, and I have five universities that, are, that I'm down to – For my services, I can still, I can't take money from any of them until I sign a letter of intent with them. Is that, that is a true or false statement? True. Okay. And that's, so once I sign, so let's say I sign with state U and I don't mean Indiana state, I'm just speaking generically here. Okay. But I sign with state U and they say, Hey, we're going to give you a $500,000 NIL deal. So I signed my letter of intent, and now not only am I getting a chance to go to school there and play basketball there, but I'm getting a half a million dollars for it. That is different. Friday's ruling makes that different than how if it had been a year ago.
5: Because a year ago, you you couldn't give that recruit a specific offer. You could just say, well, we have an NIL pool that last year raised $10 million for our football team. But you couldn't tell that recruit that if he came to said State University, this is an offer and he would he would get this, this money upon enrollment.
1: Gotcha. Okay, second question, less. So in other words, I am now able, so I am now, as Jake Query, the, the, the top-rated shooting guard in the country, I'm able to say to my five schools, hey, I've got you on my list but you come to me with anything other than $500,000 you're off you're you're out of the mix right and i could not have done that a year ago but i can now correct that's correct okay so then the second question is this and that is that um during like once i'm there and i get that 500,000 do i have then the right to after a year If if I so choose to, then you know, is it a contract that forces me to stay x number of years, or is that to be determined between the player and the school on an individual basis?
5: Well, the school the school is not involved except to the extent that you know most this will force, and and the NCAA wants this NIL deals to go to contract. Um, That's. That's by far the best practice. It's not required, but most schools have in their NIL policy that they they want to see a written contract. Um, and that would all be spelled out. Players can have representation, and as you know, there is a whole group of people that are becoming NIL agents or holding themselves out as NIL agents. Unlike professional leagues, there's no certification process. I, I couldn't become a... NBA player agent today unless I went through the certification process and passed the exams. But in the NIL world, at least as it exists now, Jake, that's not the case. Anyone can hold themselves up as an NIL agent and you know, you hear about the dark side of this, sometimes that's that's a part of it, is that you have you have agents, so called agents promising things they can't deliver. But, yes, that would all be spelled out in the contract. Okay, so, but in
1: other words, Les, Les Morris is our guest, by the way, who's an adjunct professor uh, professor teaching NIL media branding for Indiana University. So, in other words, as I am trying to make sure that I can get $500,000 from State U, it is not an ambassador directly of State U that I am working with. It is rather people that represent the athletic booster of that, a la whether it be car dealers or business people or just independently wealthy people that want to see me playing for State U. That's who's paying me as opposed to the university directly?
5: That's exactly right, and that's really an important point because it's not the university, it's the collective. So in other words, think of the collective as a funnel. Donors, Donors fund money into... Collectives. So, like at at Purdue, there's the Boilermaker Alliance. At at, um, Indiana, there's uh, Hoosiers Connect and Hoosiers for Good. And then those intermediary organizations. Pay the players, so the contract the, the school is out of it They're, I mean they review it they make sure that the contracts aren't for you know alcohol tobacco products anything that would would reflect poorly on the university but uh, absent that um, they're they're not a party to the contract they review because they certainly don't want to get into trouble but but they're not a party. And in fact, that's what started the road to Friday's ruling was that it it involved a quarterback for who ultimately enrolled at the University of Tennessee. And Tennessee got wind that the NCAA was investigating the recruitment process of this five-star quarterback. And the attorney general of the state of Tennessee joined by the Attorney General for the State of Commonwealth of Virginia filed a lawsuit against the NCAA. And they first said, you can, we're going for a temporary restraining order. You, You cannot, you cannot shut us down in terms of recruiting this kid. We have, we can make an offer and that failed. The judge said, no, I'm not granting you a temporary restraining order. Then the parties came back and tried for a preliminary injunction, and that's what was granted on Friday. So right now we have this preliminary injunction. The NCAA issued a a very uh, anodyne statement on Friday, but um, you know we'll see where this goes. I, I there's just so much up in the air. I mean, as an example, you know this is next week on Super Tuesday, March 5th, politically, we're going to have another vote, and that is the Dartmouth men's basketball team recently was allowed to, uh, was recognized as an employee group by the National Labor Relations Board, so on Tuesday, they're going to vote on whether to become a union or not, whether to be part of a union. So, we've got a a lot of things going on here, Jake, and I think the bottom line is that in my opinion, we're, we're ultimately coming to a place where student-athletes are going to become employees. How and when we get to that is, is a question, but we're, we're really going that route. I don't think that can be debated. And the NCAA is coming back and saying we want federal legislation on NIL and whether, and what student-athletes are. They hired Charlie Baker, I think, in large part because he's a former governor of Massachusetts, had a lot of the political capital and experience and they're they're hoping that Congress will take this issue up they have in terms of in terms of committee hearings, but we don't have legislation at this point, which is what they're counting on and what they mentioned in their statement on Friday in response to this ruling.
2: Les Morris, adjunct professor at the IU Bloomington Media School, taking some time with us discussing NIL and the latest from the ramifications of the ever-changing landscape. Les, you mentioned transparency. I've read that a lot the last couple of days, and I believe, at least from the student-athlete or the athlete standpoint, it is imperative that they have a market or understanding of what their market value is through this process, that transparency, who does it impact more? The individual NIL collective at each school, now knowing it's less Wild Wild West and at least understanding what type of money is going towards player A, or does it impact the players themselves more, now understanding where their value is in the free market?
5: I think it'll impact the the collectives more um i had some correspondence with a few directors of collectives over the weekend and they said that that they're really excited about this because it's going to make them more aggressive and they're going to be able to behave in more overt ways and um i think i think you'll see a lot a lot of uh uh, changes in the collective world that they'll be uh, more and more open. I, you know, I, I think that um, we, the athletes. Ryan Day, the, the football coach at at Ohio State, not this past summer, but the summer before, famously said at that time he thought it would take about thirteen million dollars in NIL money to keep his roster at the at the highest competitive level where they're at. Um, so I think student-athletes know there are a lot of valuation services out there. They pretty know, pretty much know in the ballpark what their market value is, uh, but I think this will really uh, force collectives or allow collectives to uh, sort of have the shackles taken off, and they can be a lot more aggressive and transparent. So I think that's where it will have the biggest impact.
1: So let's theoretically, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, in conclusion, this this benefits the big boys more than the little guys. Correct?
5: Yes, and and, and it always has. I mean, you know, NIL—that's sort of a misnomer. We hear stories about the Texas quarterback getting the Lamborghini, or we see Caitlin Clark with the insurance commercials. But um, you know, by and large, those are those are outliers. And but yes, to answer your question. It would it would impact more of the more of the Power Four conferences than, than anything else, and and obviously more football. I mean, you know, I think football is just separating itself completely from the other sports, and uh, and the Power Four are obviously uh, separate from from the rest of the schools playing Division One football.
1: Les Morris again is an adjunct professor at Indiana University, talking about NIL. And NIL brand for student athletes. Uh, Les, in conclusion, you and I've known each other a long time. And sometimes I get tired when I listen on the radio and I hear a host like talking to the person personally. And I'm like, yeah, the rest of the audience has no idea what the conversation's about. But just so that people know, you and I've known each other a long time. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we first met um when you were writing for a shelbyville newspaper about the pacers and i was working at a cigar store and you came in the store i think a few times as well so you would know that my nil brand awareness and marketability is far higher as a cigar salesman than a radio host right (laughs) isn't that right no, I don't believe that's true. I think you, I think collectives would would love to love to negotiate with you, Jake. <laughs> if, if it comes to figuring out whether you want a Hoyle de Monterey or a punch, I'm your guy, right? Um, <laughs>
5: Les, I appreciate
1: it, man. We look forward to having you back on. As this thing continues to to move forward, uh, we may try to invite you back on to continue to keep us abreast because I think it's only going to get bigger, and this thing is starting to roll downhill pretty quick. So I appreciate your explanation of all of it. I'd love to come back on. Thanks for the opportunity, Jake. I appreciate it. Uh, And, again, Les came up with that class at IU. He went to them and said, you know what? Here's a way that that I can teach something that – Student and what's amazing is I think that young people in particular are far more abreast at all of this and what it means than you know those of us that are watching it unfold before our very eyes. It's like it's kind of like technology, you know, like the younger you are, the better you just have kind of an overall feel for it.
0: It's the best of the best from today's broadcast lineup. Instant replay continues in a moment on 935 and 1075, the fan. on the wake up call with KB and Andy.
6: Uh, All the college basketball conversation we've had, the court-storming conversation uh, we've had and all the combine stuff. We'll pause it here for a couple minutes because over the weekend, uh, a story that was a big story, I think on Friday, maybe slid under the radar the rest of the weekend, and that is a federal judge, uh, an injunction in the Tennessee case and what that means for NIL, for NIL collectives, the Wild West right now that is... His name, image, and likeness, and to talk about it. Dan Lust joins us here uh, on the Pay Less Liquors Hotline. He's a law professor, in New York Law School. He's host of the podcast Conduct Detrimental. You can find him on Twitter at Sports Law Lust. Dan, good morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Can you catch us up on this story? Obviously, we know Tennessee sued the NCAA and then a federal judge the injunction. Uh, take us from the beginning and also. What happened this weekend And what it means for NIL and collectives
7: Good morning And uh, it's funny that you said that this flew under the radar In my world, this is a five-alarm fire That's, that's <laughs> sure. all I'm seeing on my feet So uh, we must have different algorithms over here But yes, I'll, I'll kind of Work us up to the present and explain the significance of this case. So, um, you know, unless you're living under a rock, the NIL era has been in full effect in July of 2021. And in that time frame, you know, now we're going on about two and a half years. The NCAA is really not punished Any schools, seldom for Miami women's basketball, Florida State football, but that's really it, two punishments in a a two-and-a-half-year period. So what happened really in February of 2024, very recently, there were two announcements, one that Florida University was being investigated for potential punishments, um, and that would be the third... We'll say investigation or punishment in the state of Florida. And then it was announced that Tennessee university was being investigated for a uh, potential infractions relating to one of their collectives. And the collectives is a very fancy way to say boosters that have pulled their money together to try to pay college athletes. So Tennessee is the first investigation of a, of a high profile magnitude that was announced outside of the state of Florida. And what happened is Tennessee's attorney general said, listen, state law allows us to do this. And the fact that the NCAA says that we can, is in conflict with our state laws and we want to therefore in the ncaa's ability to punish us as tennessee and all the states around the country were looking at this because this is very apropos around the country that state law allows this to happen and the ncaa's rules are in violation of state law um so this was a, a lawsuit that was filed really earlier in february um and what we had on friday late friday afternoon is the judge agreed with tennessee and said listen we are going to enact a preliminary injunction what you might call a, a temporary restraining order we are not going to allow the NCA to punish or otherwise investigate schools where it conflicts with state law so i'm happy to break it down further but the NCA is very much uh let's say they have, they have these big fangs like they were vampires we've now filed the fangs down and they have no teeth for the foreseeable future to punish any schools
6: for these types of infractions what's the next move for the ncaa then in all of this
7: you know, it's twofold. They can certainly appeal this, right? So it's not a final ruling. They can send this up to the next uh, level of courts in Tennessee, it's a federal court case, and they should get even higher, certainly, number one. Uh, and number two, what I think is the more realistic option, um, is that Tennessee's, Tennessee's lawsuit here is gonna force the NCA to try to go to Congress, get in their hands and knees, and beg for what we would call an antitrust exemption. That's, that's where this is all coming from. The NCA's ability to curtail competition in the sake of saving amateurism. The courts don't agree that the NCA can do this but if congress says yes the ncaa can do this and they have a right to curtail competition in the sake of preserving competition preserving amateurism that's the NCA's trump card so to speak um you know they've tried i think upwards of 10 times to go to congress but this is something that might be a game changer for congress to say you know what Maybe it's time to save the NCA, but so far, at least, Congress hasn't felt the need to do anything. They've had a whole bunch of nothing, ten congressional hearings, and no federal laws to speak of, no antitrust exemptions. But I think that's the NCA's next move here, and certainly they've appointed Charlie Baker, Charlie Baker, to be the new NCA president. He's a former governor of Massachusetts. That's the political power you you brought this guy on board for, and I, I think that's the the NCA's next chess move here.
8: And he's uh, Dan lust sports law lust You can follow him on Twitter. Join us here on the playlist. Slickers hotline. Dan, is this just me and the rich get richer, the collectives that had the most money and were willing to, whatever, flood some rules uh, prior are now certainly have uh, handcuffs off with all of that?
7: Yeah, and, and I, I think it's a fair point and I think, you know, people are saying the floodgates are open and I'm like, well, I'm not sure how much these collectives were scared of the NCA beforehand, so sure. you know, I don't see such a seismic shift. If anything, you might have the less or uh, the more risk-averse collectives for the smaller programs and maybe they, they start to get more aggressive but i don't think this changes very much the operating procedure of those collectives which have been doing this for some time i think the interesting part which i kind of fast forwarded through tennessee was being you know investigated or potentially punished for actions that occurred you know as far back as 2021 and 2022 so you know there, there was some school of thought that said this isn't going to change the landscape because all these schools are already doing this in 2023 and 2024. Why are we punishing what Tennessee did in 2021? So, yeah, I think there's certainly a version that says the rich get richer, but I think more, the, the better way to look at it is that, you know, for all these people out here saying that this was the wild, wild west, there is no sheriff anymore because the NCAA can't punish activities. So there is no sheriff. So whatever phrasing why one would call it the wild, wild west there's no one in town to police this. The federal government doesn't want to do it. The NCAA is now being punished and being, uh, you know, uh, you know, told in state court that they're wrong. So I'm not sure who's there to punish this. So we now have a totally free market, at least for, you know, the interim until the NCAA tries to uh, appeal this or, or go back to Congress. Why don't you think
8: the acronym of NIL ever really became name, image, likeness? Like, I, I guess my question, Dan, was, okay, b- boom, Zach Eadie, name, image, likeness. He's going to have whatever an autograph signing the purdue bookstore or you know he's going to go to the local you know whatever buffalo wild wings and do some autograph giveaway there it seemed like name image likeness never really became that like you've earned it at the college therefore you can benefit off of that um why don't you think nil ever really ended up being the acronym that it is
7: um i think i how i understand your question at least i mean i at least under NCA rules now, and obviously we're having a conversation, DNC rules might not exist, but you weren't allowed to get just paid money. You had to perform some type of services. You had to, you know, and I think in the first few months of NIL, it was that you had to have some type of endorsement that you were tied to, some type of marketing activation. And then what had since become, um, for better or for worse, is that people found ways to get around it, that you, you could basically get paid for the right to use your nil and maybe some uh collectives some type of you know partnerships weren't really using a player's nil and exploiting it the way that was initially conceived and let's say they were getting paid i'm going to make up a number here right three million dollars for one instagram post and it's not really market value so people just said that was kind of sham consideration um and these collective payments i think people are pointing to as saying this is not true Name, image, and likeness. This is not Gatorade. This is not you know Adidas. It's not one of these big companies. It's just somebody's getting paid, and on paper, it's saying that their name, image, and likeness is being compensated for. When you know, I don't, I don't think anyone's Instagram post is worth three million dollars or a million dollars or anything like that. So I, I think that's what it kind of developed into, for better or for worse. That athletes were getting paid in ways that their services didn't really account for those. You know those type of payments, but you know at least on the books of the NCA, yes, they, they were getting paid for services, but maybe those services weren't quite worth what they were getting paid to do them.
6: Dan Lust with us here on the uh, Payless slickers Hotline. He's a law professor at the New York uh, Law School. Is also the host of the podcast conduct Dr- Detrimental at Sports Law Lust. If you want to follow him on Twitter, what's the time frame here or the next move? How long? Uh, Is this injunction going to last that NIL collectives can basically do whatever they want?
7: Well, it, it's going to stand until the NCA, you know, choose to file an appeal or they go to Congress or, or, or otherwise. I mean, there certainly were where they let this go. I, I don't I don't necessarily see it. And I think what we should point out here is that, um, you know, originally this was filed by Tennessee's attorney general and Virginia's attorney general. They filed for this temporary restraining order and they lost. Right. They lost about a week or two ago. And they, they made what we would call a supplemental briefing, a supplemental filing, almost like a motion for reconsideration. And they won. So. You know, they've tried twice. The first time they lost, the second time they won. So if you were to tell me, hey, it's the rubber match, the NCAA is going for best two out of three here, mm. that wouldn't shock me. Um, and, and I would be surprised if the NCAA took this sitting down, right? You guys would know. I mean, the NCAA has their HQ o- over in Indianapolis. They right. certainly pay these high salaries to do something, right? You, I'd be very surprised if they sat on their hands and did absolutely nothing here. So, you know, let's see what this time frame is. I mean, the other part of this equation, there was nothing stopping another state's attorney general from filing the same lawsuit, be it in New York, where I'm from, or in Florida, or in Texas, or any of these other states. So I think, you know, once another state gets the whiff that the NCAA might be trying to challenge this, I would go right to court. You know, this is very much a politically motivated world. And if you want to be the attorney general in another state that helped put the nail in the coffin, you know, you, you would want to file the same lawsuit that Tennessee and Virginia just had some success on. And the courts are saying that they're likely to win on the underlying merits, they just might not win on this early, you know, we'll say interim procedure, which is a temporary restraining order. Um, So, yeah, I mean... The battlefield is not yet done yet, but I I think this is a big shot across the bow that the NCAA is probably going to lose this case in the long run. But this might be Band-Aids, patchwork, whatever you want to call it. But the courts are certainly saying that the NCAA is going to lose this in the long run. But I don't think the NCAA is done fighting this in the short run.
6: Dan, last one for me. The NCAA, you know, a few years ago, you mean, you mentioned when uh, all this, the NIL you know stuff really started to pick up. The NCAA was so against it. Do you feel like if they would have worked with institutions, had, you know, actually had rules, uh, not been tardy in creating rules, and worked with NIL programs and collectives that some of this nastiness could have been avoided? Or do you think we always were going to end up with this being a fight in the courts?
7: I'm, I'm really happy you asked that. It's a point that gets lost a lot now that we're almost, you know, three years into this world. The NCAA was very slow to act. The first domino here was... Really, a case, the Ed O'Bannon case, you know, now now dating back almost 10 years, but it was that NCAA video game case that basically said that players have a right to be compensated for their name, image, and likeness. That's been on the books for almost 10 years. So we can go back and say, hey, July 1, 2021, the NCAA was caught flat footed. They didn't know what to do. That's just not the case. That's just not factually true. The NCAA had plenty of time to prepare for this, and they dragged their feet. And what happens is, when, you know, truthfully, state law, um, be it California, Florida, a number of different states, about half the states are. Across the country passed their own versions of nil law with slight variations that created this kind of fragmented landscape which led to the chaos that we're in right now tennessee's law might be different from new york's law and new jersey's law and florida's law so those laws were only created because the nca failed to act and failed to recognize nil so yeah if i think nca had their own version of nil i don't think these states would have wasted all these resources trying to create the patchwork that was left but the NCAA abdicated the, the field. So, yeah, I think 100%, this is, you know, I'm I'm from New York, guys, and I know you guys are football fans. This is very much like Plexico Burr shooting himself in the foot. This is a self-inflicted <laughs> wound that was very much avoidable if the NCAA had just gotten in front of this, but they kept kicking the can, they kept punting, and then the state state law, state actors came in and, and forced their hands. So I'm, I'm certainly not one that says we needed state government in this, but The NC left really no alternative for the space.
8: Dan, last one. How many states will will fall in line, you think, with Tennessee and Virginia? Is this pretty universal across the entire U.S.?
7: Well, the question is whether a state wants to waste the resources filing this type of lawsuit. If they think that Tennessee and Virginia's attorney general have done enough and the NCAA is going to act on their own, they're not going to do it, right? It's always a question of budgets and who wants to waste the time filing these lawsuits. Um, you know, I, that's, that's, I think, the waiting game here. Do I, do I think all 50 states could do this? Yeah, I do. But I do think there are more important things than, you know, uh, college basketball or college football. Um, but I, I would expect at least one or two other states follow the lead. There was a big case in North Carolina about transfer restrictions, and eight attorney generals uh, joined that case. So um, that, that does show you there's an appetite for further attorney general action. So I'd be surprised if no other states filed suit. Um, you know, at this point.
8: Well, if you want to get elected in SEC country, you'll know uh, what no to kidding. do on that end. Dan Luss, sports law lust on Twitter. Dan, always enjoy our combos. I know they don't happen too often, but great stuff per usual. <laughs>
0: My line is always open. Happy to help, guys. Thanks again for listening to Instant Replay, because second helpings are always best when the main course is still fresh. Instant Replay on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.